Hi there, Glocal Citizens. It's Florence Adu, your host for the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. Welcome back to another week in the life of me here in Brooklyn. And I'm feeling a little bit homesick for Ghana, and I'm happy to be talking to an old friend that's based there. This week, we have Mr. Wellington Baden. He is the CEO and founder of Portal Forest Estates, which is, he'll tell you more about it, but I'm so excited about the evolution of Wellington's businesses and his whole lifestyle in Ghana. So it's very inspirational. Wellington, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Florence. Thank you very much. So Wellington, tell us more about where you're from, where you're local, and your craft. Okay, I'm from Ghana, West Africa. Right now, I'm speaking to you from Accra, the capital. I am CEO of a sustainably managed forest estate, which is Portal Forest Estates. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Basically, it is a model that seeks to combine and balance competing forest systems in a mosaic landscape restoration format, which um, takes into cognizance the competing demands for land, forestry, and agriculture, and seeks to um, balance all of them together in a way that works for the environment, for the livelihoods of the communities in and around the forest, and also as a sustainably managed business. Okay. That's a wonderfully technical description of what you do, which is great. So I'm looking forward to getting a little bit more into the details of how you, you came to move into that space. So what inspired you to go into forestry? Well, um, 20 years ago, I was, uh, running company, or I owned a company along with other partners called Portal Limited. Mm -hmm. And basically it was a door manufacturing company. Okay. So we were doing doors and builders joinery. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like looked down the road and said, look guys, we're going to need a secure source of raw material going forward. So initially it started off 20 years ago as an idea to plant some trees. Mm, mm-hmm. Now, at the time when we were doing that back in 2000, conversations had started globally around um, carbon and the reduction of emissions by planting trees as a solution or as a contributory factor, if you like, to reducing greenhouse emissions, right? And the idea was that people in developing countries would plant trees, which they would then be paid for by people in other countries who were causing greenhouse gas emissions Mm -hmm. as an offset, as it were. Mm -hmm. So we started thinking, well, okay, fine, we can plant some trees and that ensures a supply of raw material going down the line. And also, if we're going to be paid for reducing emissions, that means that we will have money coming in 
while we're waiting for the longer term for the trees to grow and we can keep expanding this, okay? Mm-hmm. So that was the idea, but the reality proved very different as it is taking all on 20 years for the world to work out the um, mechanisms of doing what on the surface of it sounds very simple, but what in application uh, poses a lot of challenges because you have issues of benefit sharing, okay? Who's going to be paid what for doing what? Who's responsible for doing what? How do you measure what is actually being taken out of the atmosphere in terms of emissions, right? Mm -hmm. How do you distinguish between what was there already and what you have added, okay? Mm -hmm. And this is a conversation that took place pretty much in academic circles initially from 2000 to about 2009, where the focus was on countries and emissions that were being traded then were CDM carbon credits, which were more like uh, countrywide, which was more like a country-specific approach, right? But then between 2009, when the shortcomings and the challenges of the CDM approach came to light, then the global community came up with Red Plus, which was another mechanism for achieving the same thing, but which focused more on community participation alongside private sector and government. All this led to 184 countries coming together to sign what became known as the Climate Change Accord Treaty. So from 2009 to 2017, we were one of three pilots for Africa. The ideas and innovations we had around how this could be done uh, were adopted as a country model by the Forestry Commission of Ghana. And we worked closely with the Climate Change Mitigation Office to deal with the thorny issues of uh, how do you get community involved? Who's going to pay for what? How do you measure? Where does government play a role? Where does the private sector play a role? So from 2009 to 2017, we were actively engaged in trying out and piloting the ideas that later frame the policy for this. And Ghana was one of initially three and then eventually five countries in Africa which piloted this. I know Ethiopia was one of the original three. And then we had Burkina Faso and um, a couple of others, okay? So during that process, the whole thinking around forests on a countrywide um, basis was changed, whereby the perception of forests simply as a provider of trees for timber changed quite dramatically, where now forests were considered as uh, living ecosystems within themselves. And the focus was more on how do you integrate community access for the things they got from the forest, like the non-traditional forest products, which range from mushrooms, snails, what have you, okay? And it also brought a much deeper and wider understanding and appreciation of the forest 
in terms of what it provides us in terms of a natural pharmacopoeia, medicines, organics, natural plant dyes, timber, yes, very well known, wildlife conservation, livelihoods for communities, all of that, okay? So our model sought to come up with a situation where we could have, on one hand, fast-growing tree plantations to fill the short-term need for timber because people are always going to need forest, okay? Not only in respect of the medicines, fabrics, dyes, etc., some of which we've talked about, but even in terms of timber, right? The world's population is increasing, so definitely you're going to have to come up with more timber for construction, more timber for furniture, etc. Mm-hmm. So the idea was, how do you balance all of this? How do you do forest conservation? How do you ensure there's timber down the line? How do you satisfy the need for agriculture and growing of food and all the rest of that? Okay, And how do you ensure that the community still has access to land to plant their foods and crops? and all the rest of that. So we started off trying to plant some trees, and over the course of the last 20 years, our original focus became our main business because we shifted from producing doors, etc., to really focusing on this model to mm-hmm. see about uh, coming up with something that was viable, that was sustainable. And that could create wealth and perpetuity. That would include the community. That would ensure that going down the line, a lot of the trees that were going extinct would be maintained as assets on the ground, allowing replication and restoration of degraded areas, okay? Providing a safe habitat for wildlife, a diverse range of wildlife, okay? be able to provide timber, right, whilst doing all of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's been a bit of a trial and error and a whole learning process, which has taken us the last 20 years to come up with a viable model, which is able to balance all these competing uh, um, factors and harmonize them in a sustainable and self-perpetuating whole. Sure, 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 sure. So that's pretty expansive. So what kinds of trees are you focused on now and what kind of plants are kind of the the foundation of this ecosystem that you're creating or have created over time? Okay, so we focused on a 210-acre area, Mm -hmm. and uh, 75 acres of that was degraded forest with some remnant trees, okay? So when you say degraded forest, you mean it was had been kind of ravaged by the community or it was weak trees? How, yeah, how? both by the community and... Uh, industry. Industry, okay. Mm-hmm. So the first thing we did was safeguard the area, mm-hmm. okay? And then restock the trees which had been ravaged, okay? Mm-hmm. But 
at the same time, we focused on 30 of the most sought after indigenous trees, like Iroko, Mahogany, Wawa, Fram. These were like the top species globally in demand. And that is why they were ravished. So mm. we thought, okay, let's regrow them. Okay. And then create a new narrative around them. So we regrow them for conservation. And uh, due to the fact that they're becoming extinct, right? Now people can actually come and see them, see what they look like, etc., because they're difficult to come across now. Mm -hmm. And because we did that, that allowed a lot of the wildlife which had been going missing by migrating because they didn't have a habitat to return to some measure. Obviously, there's some things which we haven't got back and I don't think we're going to get back like the elephants, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But at least a fair part of the wildlife came back. Okay, And we also said that, okay, fine. Around this, we will build an equal tourism experience where people can come globally and see. So if you want to know what a mahogany tree looks like, this is it in its natural habitat. And we also uh, focus on planting improved tree seedlings by working with the Forest Research Institute, FORIC, of the Forestry Commission, which was our industry's uh, institutional regulator. Okay. Mm-hmm. So um, we then said, okay, most of these trees, their maturity rate is anything from 50 to 100 years. So Right. We probably won't see the result in our lifetime in terms of trees that are harvestable for timber. But we said, take the focus away from growing it to harvest for timber Mm -hmm. and focus on them being an orchard of mother trees Mm -hmm. so they can provide seeds and seedlings. Sure. Yeah. Which Mm -hmm. can then be used to replicate and restore other degraded areas. Okay. So um, Forestry Commission, because we were a national pilot for the Red Plus, worked closely with us because they needed to understand what private sector's experience were, what private sector's needs and expectations were. And we also needed to understand what they needed in terms of being a regulator, the kind of... uh, systems and uh, processes and documentation that needed to be in place for them to also satisfy the international accords and protocols, which we as a country, Ghana, had signed up to, to ensure that any trees which were being produced were coming from a legal source with a verifiable chain of custody. And a lot of these documentation rules, et cetera, had to be developed, right? So we were like right in the thick of this. And as I said, it took from 2009 to 2017 for the country to totally revamp its forestry policy. So for that conservation piece, we were able to demonstrate that by maintaining long-term assets on ground and foregoing the immediate cash benefits that came from cutting the trees to sell, right? You would more than replace 
the revenue which you had forgone from the sale of seedlings mm-hmm. because the trees are providing seedlings every year mm-hmm. okay? from ecotourism of people coming in to have a nature immersive experience okay and to also understand what exactly it is that the forest does and why it needs to be preserved okay and also the uh, fact that we were providing and maintaining habitat for animals allows a whole lot of complex interchanges to happen as always happens in every forest okay mm-hmm. because you would you would be uh, interested to know that some trees, for example, can only be um, grown after having been eaten by animals and it passes through their intestinal tract right. before the trees would actually grow. You know, mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. <laughs> so what tree is that? Well, there's quite a few. There are, okay. You, if you were to visit Ghana, Forestry Commission has a forest over in the western part of the uh, country near the border with Ivory Coast. It's called the Ankasa Forest Reserve. Okay. Mm-hmm. And within that, they have a section called the Elephant Garden. And there you would see a whole lot of trees which can only be grown after they've been eaten by the elephants. And then mm-hmm. the elephants, you know, excrete the seeds. And then the seeds then can grow. So there's a whole section of the forest there called the Elephant Garden, which demonstrates this. But then you also have uh, um, plants which are planted by the birds because the birds eat them and then they spread the seed. Right. It's not only insects which um, do um, proliferation and, uh, you know, spread seeds, right? Mm -hmm. It's also birds different animals, etc. Mm-hmm. Monkeys. Mm-hmm. Monkeys, yes. We have about three different species and families of monkeys in our forest. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, so there's that whole conservation phase. We're learning a lot from what we're seeing and observing. Okay. And, um, yeah, as I said, everything has changed. Um, We've had to develop a whole research and development side of our business, which basically is learning from nature by observing its processes and seeing how the forest is always about constant feedback, is always about interchange, it's always about um, a system, an interdependent system. You sure. know, nothing stands alone. Everything is interdependent. Right, of course. So that's as far as the forest conservation piece goes. And because we needed to also be in the business of providing timber, which would generate major revenue to maintain all of this, because all of this is not cheap. Okay, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We have some support from the Forestry Commission and a private-public collaboration, Okay, because they also need to understand this. And we're innovating and doing stuff which uh, the public sector is not prepared gear to do or or set up to do, Mm -hmm. you know, and vice versa, we're doing, uh, they're doing stuff which we are not set up to do. So it's it's a dynamic partnership, right? Right. So we had some fast growing tree species. We planted Spanish cedar. Okay. Spanish cedar. um, Yeah. Spanish cedar, Cinderella. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
So we planted about 20,000 trees of that, you know, uh, starting off in 2000. And right now we have uh, mature trees ready to be harvested and milled and sold on the international market. And as we're taking those out, we are replanting. So the idea is that it then becomes a repeating cycle. Right. You know? Right. So when you... But at the same time, we had to provide short-term income. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. When we started, we didn't know, or we, we hadn't factored that in because we had this uh, romantic idea that everybody would call us around the idea of paying for emissions reductions, et cetera, by paying for carbon credits. But as I said, even up to now, when we all thought everything was sorted out, the U.S. pulled out of the the Paris Climate Change Accords. So that hasn't taken off yet. So we had to think of what we needed to do, which is another whole story. But then that is how we ended up doing essential oils and uh, natural cosmetics, right? Okay. So we developed another 84 acres, Mm -hmm. which was focused on doing that. And during the course of the period, we have uh, developed and brought to the global market 24 different types of essential oils, which are grown, harvested, and processed at our forests. Okay, nice. So is that under your own branding or do you wholesale that to to businesses? Well, it's both. Okay. We have our own brand, Mm -hmm. Emerald Forest brand. Emerald Forest, okay. Yeah. We also do white label contracts uh, Mm -hmm. where we uh, provide organic products to people in the natural hair care industry, natural soaps, organic essential oils, medicinal plants, all of that. Mm -hmm. So that is within an agroforestry piece, which also allows for food crops to be grown alongside. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that ensures that the fringe communities or the communities around the forest, one, improve their livelihoods because, for example, producing beehives to be given to the local community. Mm-hmm. And we're producing seedlings, which we give to them. Okay. And we are the guaranteed off-taker or buyer for the herbs and spices and other organic products. We're training them to be able to grow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And these are things they weren't growing before. These are things they didn't know about. Mm-hmm. But... They're now growing them alongside their, uh, the normal things which they would grow anyway, which is cocoa, fruits like oranges, coconut, palm oil, mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry, oil palm, cassava, plantain, etc. But sure. now we, we've introduced stuff like peppermint, lemongrass, patchouli, etc. to name but a few. Like I said, we have about 24 different oils, which we can then engage them in participating in ylang ylang for example mm-hmm. and we just buy these back from them and we process it at site so the factories are sited in the forest okay so we're there on the ground with them and they 
are pretty sure that if they produce, they will be paid. So as part of this, because it's an agroforestry uh, model, they have to grow trees anyway to provide right. the shade for these crops to flourish under. Mm -hmm. okay? mm -hmm. So uh, that encourages them to grow back trees. That's why earlier I said it's a forest landscape restoration model. Okay? Mm -hmm. And it's a mosaic pattern. What that means is that you're not just going to go and grow back forest everywhere. Mm -hmm. It means that you recognize that, okay, there are all these competing interests. So how can we have a mosaic where we have some indigenous forest, which restores forest cover, okay? Mm -hmm. We can have some commercial plantations, okay? And we can have some agroforestry which addresses the needs of the communities, okay? So mm -hmm. it's like, uh, instead of um, competing, it then becomes an entire collaboration. Right, right, right. So let me ask you this. You started in 2000. And so this mm -hmm. dovetails to my why the where question. So how did you come to be living, working, and playing where you live? So before 2000, what was Wellington doing? Well, um, before 2000, I was in London, uh, completed law school in London, and then move sideways into mortgages, finance, and insurance, mm -hmm. okay? and made the decision to come back and start a project in Ghana while still pretty much going up and down between London and Ghana. Okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But as the project unfolded, demanded more time being spent here than over there. Okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, of late, it has also... Uh, meant spending time traveling around the continent, around Africa, because uh, I don't know whether you know about this, but Nigeria a couple of days ago signed off on the Africa Free Trade Zone. So that means that come January, right, Africa will be the largest free trade zone area in the world. Nice. Is that the lucky, the lucky port, that area? Well, it's all of Africa. That means that now oh, okay. there's no difference. Ah. There's no difference between my selling something from here to another city in Ghana or selling from here to Nigeria or selling to Tanzania or selling to South Africa. Okay? okay. That means that we will now finally have that kind of market that Europe or America has which we've never had because everything has been chopped up into small blocks and with all kinds of restrictions, et cetera. Okay, okay. When we've been trading amongst ourselves. I get it. So Nigeria was the last country to come into it, basically. Everyone else had kind yeah. of signed on and said they're the last, so that makes it the largest. Okay, I get it. Excellent. That's great news. Yeah, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Nice. So let me ask you, speaking of all of your travels around Africa, um, we want to know what you hear. So this is my glocal speak questions. When I ask my guests to share a word, phrase, or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as local glocal speak. Well, I would say it's more a concept than a word. Okay. And if you ask me what the concept is, it's, uh, or if, you, if, if, if 
Oh, say it again. If you want to take a word, I'll say sustainability. Sustainability, okay. okay. And the concept is based on instead of looking out of the continent, I mean, we still are producing a global product, okay? But instead of having to deal with all the barriers to trade that we face trying to enter European or Western markets, right? We have a huge, huge undeveloped internal market. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I would say that um, we need to focus on that. Okay? Mm-hmm. And even in terms of uh, an external market, I would say that as Africans, there's a huge diasporan market out there, right? mm-hmm. which we haven't tuned into. And the products we have, even though they are for global marketplace, also pretty much very cultural, okay? Mm-hmm. For example, we're looking at uh, some other products we're looking at in our natural cosmetic side of things, right? It's, for example, castor oil as a hair product for natural hair, okay? Mm-hmm. And a lot of um, people now of African descent are looking at uh, keeping their own natural hair and the products that will enable them to be able to do that, okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking at food, which is like cultural. There are people based outside, want their okra, they want their plantains, they want all kinds of stuff. They don't want to eat processed food. They don't want to eat... Um, GMO, yeah, any yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a huge demand for that. And uh, we're looking to tap into, that, you know, it's not something new or strange. I mean, if you take the example of India, for example, India used to be like the producer of spice to the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, India is looking inward. Okay? It's mm-hmm. keeping most of the spice it produces itself, it's adding value to it. And it's coming to Africa to look for spices. Mm-hmm. You understand? Mm-hmm. And these are all things which are easily grown over here. Mm -hmm. But because we've been focused on producing stuff which we don't even use that, but which uh, was used or acquired in the West, we haven't really looked into what we can do for ourselves, what we uh, need or what our demand is. Okay? So maybe, okay, they don't have a great demand for okra in the West, right? or snails, right? Mm-hmm. But if you produce snails, and I took it from Ghana to Nigeria, right? That would be a huge hit. Exactly. And so now I'm not even looking at just the 30 million people in Nigeria, where they after, sorry, 30 million people in Ghana, right? Where mm-hmm. they after, even if I just bring on board Nigeria, right? I have mm-hmm. another 180 million people Add to the 30 million people. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's why I say yes, sustainability, but also, you know, a concept of homegrown, where homegrown is not only the market in Africa, but also every person of African descent living anywhere else in the world. Sure. Okay? Sure. Sure. That is simply because we have not been in a position 
to uh, look inward and cater for ourselves. But now we are. That does not preclude us from sharing our innovation and creativity with the rest of the world. Right, right. right. We have always done that anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's time for a little self-love. Okay? Of course. <laughs> let's, let's look at healing ourselves. Let's look at taking care of which will put us in a stronger position to do what we've always been doing, sharing whatever we have with the rest of the world. Sure. Let's do it in a sustainable way where we ourselves do not become battered, emaciated, and rejected while we're doing it, where we're not just hanging on by nails surviving, but where we're actually thriving while we're doing it. Mm-hmm. So I think we both have a lot of experience with, with policy and part of what took this long for you to emerge where you are is through this long and sometimes drawn out process of working with governments and putting together these public private partnerships, et cetera. So as you say, we're now in a position, what do you think is necessary to strengthen that position and truly critically move us forward? Because one thing we haven't really spoken about is where have the funds come from? So you probably invested your own funds, but from a point of growth and in these collaborations, where and how, what's the distribution of funding that will continue to sustain and grow the sector and really employ enough people to start to produce the volumes that we're talking about to really see that vision happen? Okay, very good question. Of course, a lot of what we've done has been self-funded, but we've also gone out to engage government from the level of institutions, right? And saying, okay, guys, we're in this together, okay? This is what we can do. This is how we can grow this sector. This is how you will benefit. So help us to be able to create a thriving industry, right? You benefit. There's a case of having those conversations. I'm not talking about from a party political perspective, because then it's two wings of the same bird. You know, the politicians will do what they do. Mm -hmm. But the civil servants are there forever. Yeah. And they understand that, look, for them to enjoy the the benefits and incentives which they have, they have to uh, ensure that whatever sector that they're required to regulate is uh, healthy and thriving. Mm-hmm. So it's a case of having those conversations. It's a case of engaging. It's frustrating. It takes time, but it's still work that needs to be done. There's no shirking. Mm-hmm. Okay. And once you demonstrate, you say, because let's not also forget that a lot of private sector people, for whatever reason, want to get away with uh, paying as little as possible in terms of taxes, etc. But that is not the solution. Mm-hmm. Rather, the solution is to engage the necessary institutions and show them that, hey, you're getting so much now, but if you did this and this for us, it will put us in a position to increase our turnover by so much. And as a result, you get so much because whether anybody likes it or not, by reasons of whatever regime taxation government imposes, every government is an unseen shareholder, mm-hmm. every private sector business, mm-hmm. no matter where in the world. Okay? 
So you need to share. We need as private sectors to sit down with them and say, okay, guys, you're a shareholder, right? It's in your interest to make sure that this works. Every parasite has to make sure that its host body is alive, healthy, and supported. Mm-hmm. And not all parasites are bad. But some parasites are necessary. There's a question of having that conversation. Okay. And in terms of funding going forward, as I've indicated, funding going forward is going to come from the global marketplace, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in terms of from the African perspective, our focus is primarily all people of African descent, mm-hmm. right? And uh, uh, cultures and people also who see the value in what we bring. For example, in Africa, Ghana, especially, everything that grows in South America grows here. Right. When you come here, take something like cassava. We call it um, cassava. In Brazil, it's called manioc. Right? Mm-hmm. Brazil has probably about 55 or 60 different ways of dealing with cassava. From confectionery to, I mean, name it. Yeah. They've got a far wider range of dealing with that one plant that we have. So when I say, yes, all people of African descent, it does not preclude other people from around the world who also are within space. You have a lot of people who have traveled extensively all over and who have developed an appetite for some of these products. Okay? Mm-hmm. So when I say people of African descent, that's the low-hanging fruit. That's a no-brainer. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. Finding all these other people and bringing them to the table, that has to be a function because we're talking about sustainability. You can get something in the form of uh, government grants. You can get something in the form of uh, donor commitments or NGOs, etc. But at the end of the day, you not only have to stand on your own two feet, you have to make enough to come back and give back and ensure that it is self-sustaining. So again, we come to the, to the word sustainability. Right, right, right. So interestingly, thinking about this global landscape and everything, what, how have you been impacted by the pandemic? How has that changed your trade? And even, you know, obviously the ecotourism has been impacted. How have you addressed it and how, how has it impacted you? Well, it's not only the ecotourism. Mm-hmm. The pandemic has been uh, devastating. That's one way to look at it. Mm-hmm. I would also like to look at it in the alternative as a reset, mm-hmm. which has forced us to change our way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we have experienced the shutdown of uh, European and Western markets for our timber. Mm-hmm. Right, we have uh, experienced the shutdown of uh, markets for uh, essential oils, and various other products. Okay, and even domestically, right, mm-hmm. nothing seems to be happening. So our thinking, our focus has been okay. First of all, how do we survive this? Mm-hmm. Second, 
the fact that this came through and shut us down means that our systems, our processes, etc., are not robust enough to survive something like this. Okay? So, first of all, survive. And second, how do we learn from this? How do we put in place measures to be sure that the next pandemic does not find us in the same state of vulnerability, but then we are strong enough to not only survive, but thrive. Right. So those are the questions, the inquiries, the engagements, the research that we are engaged in at the moment. We have a few ideas around this. We have lots of observations, mm-hmm. but um, it's still pretty much processing all of that. Yeah. It's not over yet. Yeah. But we're still here. We're grateful for that. Nice. What, taking it day by day. So that leads me to my my next question, my mindset hack question. And this is where I ask you, what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? And this is one that you can imagine or one that you know of. Well, I would say that, first of all, everything is possible. Mm, mm-hmm. Right? Everything is possible. If something seems impossible or probable, it's simply because you do not have enough knowledge to uh, give you a different perspective or a different way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. So question everything. Don't take anything for granted. Okay? Mm-hmm. Do not accept that this is the way we've always done it. Try and understand why it is that you've always done it this way. But also look at it in terms or in the context of continually evolving, changing landscape. Truth is not static. Mm. It continuously changes. It continuously evolves. Okay. What may hold true today could very well change tomorrow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is no limit to learning, right? Because the height of every mountain that you climb becomes the foothill of the next mountain that you must climb. Right. So rather than seeing yourself as striving to reach a point where you will know everything, right? See that there is never at any time within the concept of infinity, if you really understand what infinity is, that you will know everything, mm-hmm. okay? You will continuously learn. You will continuously evolve. And things become outmoded. They fade away and they create new possibilities. That is why it is possible for the caterpillar to transition to the butterfly, okay? Mm-hmm. So always be open. Always know that you know nothing. Always know that whatever you've learned today is only a foundation for what you need to learn. Right. Okay. So don't become static. Don't become rooted. Don't become dogmatic. Mm-hmm. And be open to knowledge. It could come from anybody. It could come from a five-year-old, right? Because everybody has a unique perspective, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's not only everybody, it's everything. Yes. Has a, everything has a unique perspective. 
Yeah. And if you're open to observe, to learn, to witness without judgment, okay? Without holding on to grudges, okay? And being flexible, okay? Then you don't need to mind hack anything because you are living the hack. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. You can live the hack. So, Wellington, you have recommended several books in our long years of knowing each other. So I want to ask you, what are you reading these days? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, currently I'm uh, reading a new cosmology by Walter Russell. New Cosmology by Walter Russell. Yeah. Okay. Uh huh. I have a few favorites which I keep going back to, like Lao Lao Tzu's Tao. Lao Tzu. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the art of war, right? No, no, that's Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu is the art of war. Yeah, that's another old. That's another old favorite. Okay. Lao Tzu's The Tao is also another old favorite. The Tao. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, you know what they say. Um, as you read new books, you should always go back and revise the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, I yeah, yeah. So, I don't want to go into a long uh, book list. <laughs> but those are some good ones. New Cosmology, I like that's a good one. Yeah. The Tao. And, and um, a friend of mine sent me, a friend of mine, Anam, she is also very much into uh, forestry. She's based in England, but she's um, doing all kinds of uh, projects over here, uh, reforestation projects, etc. Uh-huh. And she sent me a book, which uh, I am kind of like really getting into um, at the moment, which is the Akan philosophy of the person. Ah, the Akan philosophy. And she sent it to you from the UK. You didn't find it in Ghana. Okay. Yeah, I will send it to you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You sent me a couple of interesting books. Nice. Oh, yes, yes. I will send it to you. Okay, wonderful. That's a, a nice little um, short reading list to go on. Um, So Wellington, this has been great. I really appreciate you taking time to talk to us about the details of forestry. And there's so much more that I want to ask and I'm curious about, but I know I'm just being respectful of your time, but I want you to come back probably for a panel because I want to start doing more conversations about solutionscaping in the whole overall space. And I think you are a wonderful voice for that. But before we go, are there any last words for our listeners? Well, I'll say come visit, you know, because hearing about it is one thing. Um, Mm -hmm. Coming and seeing it, then you see the pictures, you see. So there was nothing here and now there's all this. So Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. it makes it easier to imagine that uh, or to understand that, yes, there's stuff you can do right now. It's not about somebody else doing this or that. Right. It's about what you can do right now, even if it's planting two or three fruit trees in your house. Exactly. Imagine Mm -hmm. if 10,000 people 
each went out and planted two or three fruit trees in their house. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the amount of birds that will come, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the amount of insects? Can you imagine the whole ecosystem that will be created across the globe simply by a bunch of people going out planting two or three fruit trees, right? I say fruit trees because that is easier for people to understand in terms of what they can get something from straight away. Sure, yeah. And in forestry, fruit trees are like three to five years. To us, that's like a day. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it's interesting you say that because I've had this idea about just going around Accra and planting trees, just randomly planting trees, just to, and this is more of an urban, an urban concept. But my concern is, is that we haven't done the groundwork, I think, yet to really start to change the mindset around appreciating trees. Because my, every time I'm in my neighborhood, I'm running, I'm walking, I'm I'm seeing what's going on. And every year there are fewer and fewer trees. So I just see these old trees that have been yeah, around. Everybody's busy concreting the area. Yes. Okay. They don't want to maintain but, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if we uh, put together a focus group of 20, 30 people, let's say, mm-hmm. and we actually uh, went ahead and did this exercise mm-hmm. and covered the whole process, mm-hmm. uh, for example, uh, using covering the process through YouTube or yeah. through all kinds of other social media. Right. People can see, that, okay, this person planted this. A year later, they had bananas. They had plantain. A couple yeah. of years later, yeah. they had this. A couple of years later, they had that. Right. So our uh, model takes into account the uh, very short attention span of people wanting instant gratification. Mm-hmm. So... We have some things which come on stream in six months. Nice. Some in nine, Mm -hmm. some in a year, some in two years, going up to seven. Okay. 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 So you have uh, an increasing amount of income flows coming in year after year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because uh, the funny thing is people want to live forever, but... (laughs) They can't even wait for two years. You know. (laughs) Well, I am signed up for that focus group. So when I get back, I'm going to come knocking because I'm really committed to this idea of really planting more trees and seeing more trees because it just, we're a rainforest and we're not anymore. So I think we have to really be more conscious of the air we breathe is dependent on the trees we plant. Yeah. So, you know, you should come out because right now our focus is on building a learning center, an okay. experiential learning center, okay? right. mm-hmm. where we're going to bring people in, right? And yep. uh, people who've been, especially lately, all comment about, wow, how dense the air is, right? Yeah. So the air now is like very dense. It's very pure. It's very oxygenated. Mm-hmm. You know, you can tell the difference between when you drive from a car to when you drive in. Mm-hmm. We only about 128 kilometers Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the idea is to have people come in, spend as much time as they want, okay, Mm -hmm. and learn how to do stuff. Because let's not also forget that a lot of these people have never seen trees being planted. They don't even know 
what a fruit tree looks like or whatever or whatever. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. So we want to create a space where people can come and experience that, you know, that, yeah. know that, hey, I can eat these fruits and I can take these trees away. And plant, you know? Wonderful. They can walk through a forest area and actually go harvest trees themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, we take a lot of stuff for granted because when I was growing up, it's, oh, go climb the mango tree in the yard, sit up there, eat all the mangoes you want. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But a lot of the people growing up now have never seen that. So how do you expect them to appreciate it? Experience it? Yeah, had? yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's so true. So where exactly? So I want to um, direct our listeners to be able to find you. So where can they find you? Where can how can they book? Tell us more. Well, you can go on our on our we, we're on Facebook as Portal Forest Estates. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. We're on Insta, uh, Twitter as Portal underscore Forest. Okay. And now our website is portalforestestates.org. Okay, great. And all of that will be in the show notes, listeners. So be sure to check those out and plan your trip too. So you're open now, even though we're... we're no, we're going we're gonna to be back in January. Okay, in January, okay. okay. Everybody's shut down and this and that and sure. that. You know, so sure, But for, for next year... Yeah, we're looking to pick up next year. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Okay. And we're also looking at more like um, inclusive things. Uh, we're collaborating with, I mean, collaboration. That's another big, big thing for us. If you talk about a word, I would say mm-hmm. collaboration. Mm-hmm. We definitely go in there as well. Mm-hmm. We're looking to collaborate with. Um, Different groups, for example, uh, teaching Tai Chi within a forest space, teaching yoga, you know, Mm -hmm. hermetic yoga, you know, within that forest space, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, spas, wellness center, natural plant dyes, you know, batik making, uh, Mm -hmm. wax printing, you know, Mm -hmm. from our own cultural traditions, Mm -hmm. working with bamboo, fishing, bed watching, you know, mm-hmm. we're looking to, well, we have created the space for multiple experiences, right? Which would bring to, uh, to focus with people exactly the role that forests play, not from a dry academic reading of it, but actually being there, experiencing and living. The like practice. Nice. The hack. The practice. Okay. Well, thank you so much again, Wellington. And we'll hope to see you soon. I can't wait to get back to Ghana in January. Unless fingers crossed that, you know, we can manage the pandemic so that we don't have any more borders closing. Please, please, please. So listeners, this has been another episode of Glocal Citizens. As always, you can find us at www.glocalcitizenspod.com on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Podcasts, everywhere you find podcasts, you can find us. So until next time, bye for now.